Father in heaven, as we come to this portion of our service, Lord, we have sung of your greatness, of your mercy, of how marvelous and wonderful you are. God, we've given of our tithes and our offerings. And Lord, now we come to the point where we seek to worship you by the preaching, the proclamation of your holy and perfect word. We ask, God, that you would add your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your word. That you would speak in spite of a foolish servant. That we all together would hear from your spirit this morning, working through your word to encourage, to challenge, to convict, to comfort. We love you, Father. We ask that even now you would speak as we seek to humbly hear from your word. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you find Malachi about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, then you are one book away. You turn one more and you'll get to Matthew. If you hit Mark, then you have missed your mark. Go back one and you'll be back there in Matthew. If you don't have a paper Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you or keep that if you don't own one. That is our gift to you. If you're accessing the Word of the Lord by phone or tablet or if you're following along on the screens, all of those are wonderful ways. However you're accessing the Word of the Lord, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word as we look together at Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 5, we'll read through verse 34, the end of the chapter. When I've completed reading for us, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond if you are thankful for it by saying, thanks be to God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you. They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you give forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this passage this morning, and it is a section of my Bible that is worn very well. This is a passage that I have to return to often. I am a worrier. I am a stressor. I am the guy who's going to get caught up on the inside and, and hang on every word and worry if what I said came across to you the right way or the wrong way. Just imagine that preaching is my profession. Imagine what Sunday afternoons are like for a worrier like me. Every single word overanalyzed and under the microscope. Did I offend? Did I say this right? Did I say that right? Is the Lord pleased with what I said? Is he not pleased with what he, with what I said? What he said through me? What did I, did I get in his way? Did I get out of his way enough? Sometimes we overanalyze every situation and everything that we do and we worry. And I would just like to submit this morning that nothing in scripture is arranged haphazardly. Nothing in scripture is arranged so that it is an accident or so that things just end up next to one another. And so what I find extremely interesting is all that is paired together in Matthew chapter 6. We begin with prayer. We begin with instructions of how not to pray and then instructions on how we ought to pray. Then we move on into fasting. Then we move on into our treasures. And then we move on into the lamp. The eye is the lamp of the body. And then serving two masters. Therefore, verse 25. 
And here's our favorite phrase. We say it all the time. When you run across a therefore in Scripture, ask yourself, what is it there for? I know it's cliche, but it's very effective and always helpful. Why is verse 25 beginning with therefore? It's because everything leading up to verse 25 is telling us here is how to pray and fast. Here is how to order your priorities. Therefore, in light of these things, keep these things in your mind as now we move into this discussion about worriness, worrisome people, anxiety, nervousness. All of our prayers and our fasting, all of our priorities and our treasures are intimately connected to our worries and our anxieties. When our worries and our anxieties are out of control, it's because we have not stored our treasure up in the correct place. When our worries and our anxieties are overwhelming to us, it's because we have not put the priority on prayer and fasting that it deserves in our lives and in our spiritual walk. Now, I'm not saying it's as simple as a one plus one equals two kind of equation, but one of the first places we ought to look when we are overwhelmed with worries and anxiety is inward to what are my priorities? What am I treasuring? What master am I serving? Where is my confidence? What does my prayer life look like? When was the last time that I fasted over something because it meant so much to me spiritually? These are the questions that we must ask of ourselves when we find ourselves ridden with anxiety. And so for someone like me, you can imagine that I ask myself these questions quite often. But the Holy Spirit moved upon Matthew to record Jesus' words in this way. When Jesus preached, he preached with this connection in mind. That's why it goes from the first 25 verses to then verse 25. Therefore, in light of the instruction on prayer, in light of the instruction on fasting, in light of the instruction on your treasures and your priorities, in light of looking at which master you serve, in light of the light within your soul, now let's talk about why you are riddled with anxiety. And folks, there's a delicate balance that we have to find here. Because we're not supposed to worry, right? We're not supposed to be anxious. But if you read this passage devoid of its context, you disconnect it from prayer, you disconnect it from all these first 25 verses, it'd be really easy to like live your whole life singing the song, Here's a little song I wrote, might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy now. And you're lazy, you don't really care. Oh, no, that doesn't matter. I won't try hard. Don't worry about it. Hey, well, there's these folks that really need to hear the gospel, and I, I want to prepare. I want to make sure that I'm ready. Ah, don't worry about it. Just be happy. It'll be all right. And, well, you know, we really need to reach our community. There's, there's, our children need to be instructed in the gospel. Ah, don't worry about it. It'll all pan out all right. There's a balance between abdicating all of our responsibilities And being overwhelmed by our responsibilities and covered up in anxiety and worry. It's somewhere in between, don't worry, be happy all the time, do nothing, and be overwhelmed by the anxiety and the nervousness that riddles our souls. Is that not what happened to us 
when COVID initially struck. We didn't know a lot about it. And it was so interesting, this spectrum that we had. There were people all the way over here that, ah, don't worry about it. If you worry about it, you're being, you're being overcome by fear. If you worry about it, it's faith over fear. If you're, if you're being concerned at all about COVID and its impact on the world, then let me tell you something. You're lacking faith. Just sit back and see what happens. And then over here on, on this extreme, we had people who were like, it's the end of the world. Don't touch anything. Let me leave it out on my front porch for a week. Uh, get seven bottles of Lysol, spray it down. Where's a Clorox wipe for the love? What are we going to do? We're all going to die. Shut the churches down. Close the grocery store. What about the meat? What if we can't get any meat? What am I going to do? I can't eat kale. Ah! I talked to those people. I talked to those people. Somewhere here where we recognize this is something serious. How is this going to impact the world? But I'm not going to let it control me. I'm not going to let it paralyze me in fear. I'm not going to wake up every night. It ties very closely to 2 Thessalonians. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is connected to Matthew 6 because we see this instruction not to worry, but it's not a license to be lazy. It's not a license to sit around idly just going, ah, the Lord's going to take care of everything. The Lord's going to make it work out. What we learn in 2 Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians, sorry, chapter 3 is that the things that we do, our actions actually matter. Now, in verse 6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you is not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let them not eat for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Don't be idle. Don't sit over here and read Matthew chapter 6 with no context from anywhere else in Scripture. This is why Scripture interprets Scripture. You take 2 Thessalonians, couple it alongside Matthew 6, and you realize, well, I can't just sit around and do nothing and expect for the Lord to take care of everything and not lift my finger because then I'm living in idleness, which is in direct violation to the commands given in 2 Thessalonians. But I also don't work myself into a frenzy as the psalmist would say, to fret, as we fret, we burn hot and consume ourselves in a fire. I'm not going to fret over things, but I am going to work hard and trust that the Lord's going to take care of me. I'm going to work hard and trust that the Lord is going to take care of me. I'm going to move forward understanding that it will all work out, understanding that the Lord will care for me and my family, and that whatever happens, all things will work for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, but I'm not going to sit around and do nothing, and I'm not going to be consumed by it. I'm going to work hard with faith. 
Notice that in chapter 6, there are instructions of things to do. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. What not to do is how he starts, if you will. Don't stand in the synagogues and street corners. Don't be loud. Don't, don't draw attention to yourself. They've received their reward already. When you pray, go into your room. Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret because your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice that God sees and knows in secret. That means that He knows what's in my mind. That means I can pray to God in my heart and in my mind without ever raising my voice. But that should not be my only method of prayer because I have instructions to go into a room, to shut the door, to pray to my Father, to vocalize a prayer to the Lord in heaven. These are instructions of not being idle. Don't just sit and twiddle your thumbs. Get up, go into your room, shut the door and pray. That's how we combat the anxiety and the worry, but we don't end up being idle and not caring about anything. Things do matter. It's not so unimportant that nothing matters. Things do matter, but we have to have our priorities correct. We have to have the right value on the right things. But some of us are tempted to go all the way into saying, well, it doesn't matter whether I pray or not. It doesn't matter whether I pray out loud or not. It doesn't matter when I pray. It doesn't matter where I pray. Really, it doesn't matter if I go share the gospel. Really, it doesn't matter if I come to church or not. Really, it doesn't matter if I share the gospel or not. Really, it doesn't matter if I say something inspiring to my coworkers. Really, it doesn't matter if I'm positive or negative because there's nothing to worry about. God's going to take care of all of it. Sometimes we fall into that trap. I know because that's... That's the trap I fall into. See, I'm terrible at finding that middle ground. Personally, I'm either over here and the world is burning tomorrow, like the world's just coming to an end, or "Ah, that'll all work out. Just don't worry about it. I can unplug and go on vacation and be like, whatever happens, happens. I'll deal with it when I get back. I can do this, or I can do, (laughs) but the in-between is where I struggle where I am moving forward and working, trusting that the Lord is at work. Understanding that things do matter. Whether you show up to church or not matters. Whether you go into work or not matters. The decisions you make matter. The things you do matter. It's not that I just walk around all day and I pray in my mind and I'm doing good because I'm praying. I'm, I'm communicating with the Lord. Yes, that's good. But there's also a place for doing some work, for going into a room, shutting the door and praying. I don't want you to raise your hand, but how often do we go into a room and shut the door and talk out loud to God? How many times do you think your children have heard you praying out loud to God? How many times have your grandchildren heard you praying out loud to God? How many times has your spouse caught you praying out loud to God? How many times have your parents caught you praying out loud to God? I don't have to say it out loud. God knows what's in secret. Yes, He does. He tells you to go in secret, but He says to pray. There is vocalization 
intended in the verb they use in Greek. It is an out loud prayer. He already knows. But he says to pray like this. He already knows what you need, but pray like this. Look at verse 8. Don't be like them. Don't do it. Don't heap up empty phrases. Don't do these other things. But when you pray, your Father in heaven already knows what you need. Verse 8. Since he already knows what you need, does verse 9 say, don't worry about praying? Since he already knows what you need, does verse 9 say, just, just you know, silently throughout your day, Lord, help them. Lord, be with them. Lord, watch over them. I prayed for you. Said a little something in my mind. The Lord already knows what you need, but pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Break down. There's a mo- we could do an entire sermon series on the model, but these are the models of how to pray. These are the phrases. These are the categories. These are the themes. This is a way to pray in the same way that Jesus taught us to pray. In the other Gospels, the, the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. You know, they didn't go to Jesus and say, teach us to cast out demons. They didn't go to Jesus and say, teach us to walk on water. They didn't go to Jesus and say, teach us how to multiply the bread. They didn't go to Jesus and say, teach us how to heal the sick. They didn't go to Jesus and say, teach us how to call down angels from heaven. They went to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Jesus says, pray then like this. Sometimes we're so caught up in our worries because we're praying and we're praying in the wrong way. Sometimes we're so caught up in our worries because we're not praying. Sometimes we're so caught up in our worries because we're just caught up in bitterness. How can you pray when your heart is hateful towards someone else? If you forgive others their trespasses, verse 14, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There is an intricate connection between our prayers and our ability to forgive. There is an intricate connection between our prayers and our ability to forgive. And for somebody who struggles with forgiveness... That's scary. But if I don't forgive, I'm inhibiting my own prayers. If I don't forgive, I'm locking forgiveness out from myself. These are straight out of the words of Jesus. I'm not twisting them. I'm not turning them. This is as plain as it gets. And I know some of you, I can see it in your faces right now. You already checked out 15 minutes ago. It's okay. I was hoping I was hoping the pastor would come here and and dig up some Hebrew word and and shine new light. This is this is all. Yeah. okay, pray. Yeah. okay, don't worry. You know, that's why we struggle. I got that down. I can tune out. I got that down. I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Maybe there needs to be a little bit more worry in our hearts about how we're praying, about how often we're praying, about how we're forgiving Man, I just, verse 16, it says, and when you fast. That's not if you fast. That's when you fast. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever fasted about anything in your spiritual walk? How many of us have fasted ever in our walk with the Lord? 
And look, I'm not saying maybe you're diabetic and you can't go a day without food. That would literally put you in the hospital and maybe in some sort of diabetic coma. Your blood sugar bottoms out. I mean, I get that that's 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 the case for some people. But fasting is not about just giving up food. It's about giving up the things that bring us pleasure, that bring us joy, that provide our sustenance. It's just as easy to set your phone down and say, I'm a fast from this phone. I'm going to delete every app off of my phone, and I'm only going to use it to talk. It's, it's easy enough to say, I'm, I'm going to fast from whatever else is in your life and replace that time with prayer and concentration and focus on the Lord. It's not enough to just fast and say, I'm not eating right now. That's great. That's, you're, you're doing a great job fasting. But the reason that food is such a wonderful thing to fast from is because every time your stomach growls and says, I need something, you go, oh, got to pray. Every rumble in your tummy, every yearning for food is that reminder. I got to pray. I got to pray. I got to pray. I got to pray. And fasting is not grabbing God, twisting his arm behind his back and going, okay, 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 okay. I wasn't going to give it to you, but now I will. If that's your idea of fasting, you've missed the point. Remember what we do actually matters. Sometimes fasting is more for us than it is for God. You think about Abraham. Abraham is told by God, I'm going to give you a son. Decades go by, no son. What does Abraham do? Our man of faith, our hero of faith, what does Abraham do? He listens to his wife. They conspire. God, you can't seem to deliver on this promise. We'll help you out. Along comes Hagar, along comes Ishmael. Then God delivers on his promise, right? He gives Isaac. What's Abraham proved, though? Abraham proved through his actions he didn't trust God because he tried to go around God's plan with his own plan. So what does God ask Abraham to do? Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, Gets as specific as possible, as emphatic as he can. Your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to take him and sacrifice him. Was this so that God could be reaffirmed of Abraham's faith? God knows everything, right? Does God really need to know that Abraham will be faithful? That Abraham trusts him with Isaac? I mean, maybe. But do you think it's possible that God is pulling faith out of Abraham so that Abraham can realize that it's there? At some point along the way, Abraham looks at the other servants, says, you guys stay here. We are going to the mountain to offer sacrifice to the Lord and we will be back. You think maybe Abraham surprised himself a little bit in that moment? I surely know that it would have surprised me. I'm I'm on my way to sacrifice my son. It's over. The promise is done. I guess he just wanted to give me a son so he could take him. I I don't know. All right, guys. We're going to go worship. And I just wave at him. No, 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 no. It pulls 
faith out of Abraham. His actions show that he believes, even when in the depths of his soul he wonders if he believes, his actions prove that he believes. And he says, even if God has to raise him from the dead, this is the one he promised, and I'm going to believe God. And so they go up the hill, and he lays the wood on him. All of these actions reaffirm to God and to Abraham, Abraham's faith. In the same way, fasting works on us to show us, oh my goodness, I just went a whole day without eating. This matters to me. My, my faith is real. Why, why would I go a whole day without eating if I didn't believe in the God that I was fasting for? Why would I go a whole day without eating if I didn't believe that fasting and praying did not have some sort of effect on the Heavenly Father? It is a bolster to our own faith. And the actions prove our commitment to the Lord as we are fasting. The Lord sees it. The Lord knows. The Lord knows everything about us better than we know ourselves. But when we fast, those actions prove to God. And this, this is really serious to Steve. This is really serious to Wesley. This is really serious to Grant. Grant's heart is really here. God already knew that. But now Grant and Wesley and Steve, they know it too. Because they gave up whatever it was so that they might pray. In that fasting, in that prayer, they're trusting in the Lord. Their treasures are in the right place. Physical food's not going to take care of me. This fasting is depending on the Lord. The Lord will take care of me. It is working and doing while being worry-free. Lord, I'm going to trust the results to you. I'm not trying to twist your arm. I'm not trying to force you to do something not in your plan. I'm just going to trust in you. I'm going to fast. I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to trust in you, Lord. That's how the priorities get rearranged. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Don't serve two masters. This is how prayer and fasting is connected to our worrisome, anxiety-filled lives. If you're riddled with worry and anxiety, what's your prayer life look like today? If you're riddled with all sorts of nervousness and anxiety, because listen, there's a lot to be anxious about in this world. Where, where are your priorities? Let me leave you with one word of hope. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Go, go right towards the end of the Bible. Last few pages. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you and read over you. 633, Matthew 633. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. All these things will fall into place. Verse 34. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you know why we cannot worry about tomorrow? Because even though we don't know what's coming tomorrow, 
There's going to be one tomorrow that this passage describes. Look with me at Revelation 21, 1 through 5. This is John writing. And he looks into the heavens and he sees a vision of the future that God blesses him with. He tells him to write it down. Look in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what we're going to eat. I know right now you're thinking it. I know it's in your head right now. This preacher's been going on for so long. What are we going to eat for lunch? Don't worry about what you're going to eat for lunch. You know why? Because everything's going to be made new one day anyway. Don't worry about the revolution that's coming and we got to change our pronouns. And am I cisgendered now? Am I offending if I say cisgendered? Am I being mean to these transgendered people? What do, what do we do with all this stuff that's going on in our world? I don't understand. My kids got to grow up in this. Where do they go to school? What do I do? Don't, don't set the world on fire. Don't fall apart in anxiety. There's going to come a day when it all gets made new anyway. All the former things are going to pass away. All the pronouns that we use are going to pass away anyways. All the sins, all the struggle, all the strife, all the hunger, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the tears. All of it will pass away. There's no sense in us being stressed to the max about what will happen tomorrow. Because tomorrow could be the day that it all gets made new. And if our priorities are right. If our prayer is in the right place, we can continue to work in this world without the anxiety, knowing that one day it's all going to be made new. Look, I know this is goofy, but y'all know the song from 38 Special? One hit wonder, all right? I don't know a single other song from 38 Special, but hold on loosely and don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control. You know this song? It's, look, look it up. It's a good song, okay? It's... It's a hit. You'll you'll enjoy it. Hold on loosely. Don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to be overwhelmed in anxiety, in nervousness, in worry, in frustration, in stress. You're going to shorten your own life by being scared about what do I do today, tomorrow, the next day? Did I make the right decision? Did I say the right word? Trust in the Lord. Work for today. Trust in the Lord. Do what you can. Trust in the Lord. Don't be idle. Do what you can. Hold on, but don't cling. Hold on. Hold on to this world loosely. Lay up your treasures in heaven because that's the only place that's going to matter anyway. And if you find yourself overwhelmed with worry and anxiety, I would encourage you as I 
fail to do so often, but strive for. Look at your prayer life. Look at your priorities. There's a reason Matthew 6 goes through prayer and fasting and treasures before coming to worry and anxiety. And when you just can't seem to take any more of all the craziness this world's throwing at us, remember, it's passing away. It's going to all be made new one day. Every evil thing will become untrue. Now, the only way that that's good news for you is if you trust in the one that we're praying to. If you trust in the one who made prayer a thing. We have direct access to God because Jesus Christ, the one and only begotten Son, came, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross, the death that we deserved. He was raised to life three days later. And by putting our faith in Him, by trusting in Him, that's how we get away from these worries and these anxieties. That's how we can look forward to all things being made new because He's the one making them new. So, the first place to start rearranging your priorities is, do you trust in Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is going to make all things new? Where do you stand on that front? If you do trust in Jesus, if you say you've been following Jesus, but you find that you're overwhelmed, your anxieties, your fears, your worries have captivated you, let me ask you this morning to examine in your own heart, where are your treasures? Where's your prayer life? When's the last time you fasted? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, for how you love us. Thank you for making access through prayer. Lord, I, I don't want to stand up here and be a hypocrite. There's plenty of times where I'm overwhelmed with worry and anxiety because my prayer life isn't right. There's plenty of times that I get overwhelmed by the world and the moral revolution and all that's going on. All this craziness, Father, that seems to swirl about us. And my anxiety comes from my prayer life being out of order. My treasures being in the wrong place. Father, help me. Help us to trust in you, to work while it is yet day, but to remember that you're on the throne. Help us to find that balance of living for you, not being idle, but not being overwhelmed with worry either. God, we ask that you would move in this time. Holy Spirit, that you would impress upon our hearts how we ought to respond. And that we would respond in obedience to you. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.